Welcome to Back to the Sources, a podcast for those looking for a window into the life of Concordia Seminary and our library, whether you are a theologian, pastor, or prospective student. Each episode explores deep theological questions, profound insights, and topics of interest, brought to you by both professors and students alike. We hope that these conversations enrich your faith, academic, and professional development by connecting you to our rich resources. Back to the Sources is brought to you by the Hasi Library on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. The Hasi Library, inspiring theological discovery. Hello, and welcome to Back to the Sources, a podcast of Hasi Memorial Library, where we look at ways that people are using library resources here at Concordia Seminary. My name is Kendall Davis. I am a STM student in exegetical theology. And today, continue, continuing our series where we interview some of our authors from Grapho, the student journal of Concordia Seminary. I am also the chairman of the student publications committee who publishes the journal. And today I have with me one of our authors from this year's issue, the 2022 issue. I have with me Kristen Einertsen. Kristen, could you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Kendall. Thanks for having me. My name is Kristen Einertsen. I am the wife of a PhD student, Christian Einertsen, but I myself am also a PhD student studying rhetoric at the University of Minnesota. And I'm here at CSL while he works on his degree. Nice. Yeah, it was yeah, great to have your, your essay. So tell us a bit about your essay, kind of what, what you did, and then we'll kind of have a, have a conversation about it. Yeah, that sounds great. So the essay was entitled Tradition, Handing Down the Light to the Next Generation. And I basically just open with a little story or synopsis talking about how when my husband and I first found out that we were pregnant with our child last mm-hmm. year, we, you know, wanted to start figuring out the ways that we were going to teach the faith to him, since obviously this is a big responsibility of parenthood and something that we are excited to do. But it can be a pretty daunting thing to try to take a hold of and understand what way you're going to go about it. And so as we started to just look around us in the church and see other seasoned parents who had already gone through this process, we noticed that a lot of them were engaging in this type of living that's called liturgical living, which basically is just trying to harness the church's liturgical year and use it in some format in the home to be able to celebrate days and teach your children about the faith that way. And so we are really interested to learn more about liturgical living and by understanding some of the traditions or practices that these families use, things like celebrating saints days, teaching their kids about the historic lectionary and how this plays a part in the church year, other formative Christian traditions that are associated with different holidays, things like that. We noticed that this was just going to be a really informative and interesting way that we wanted to also embark embark on. And so my essay kind of goes through the process of us trying to understand what liturgical living was all about. I go through some examples of things Mm -hmm. that we've seen, some biblical instances where this is supported by scripture, and then just finally summarize and talk about how if you engage in this sort of living, you know, I think it will enrich in your life a lot of different ways and realize that it's not just something for kids or something just to utilize in teaching Mm -hmm. the faith, but it can actually be something that's part of your own faith life and something that's important for your spiritual practice. Right, right. Yeah. And it's it's interesting, that idea of kind of liturgical living, right, is the term Mm -hmm. that people use. Yeah. 
I saw one essay put it, Live in La Vida Liturgica. Yes. Which is quite, 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 quite fun. I'd like to see that. Um, somebody make that parody, put it on YouTube. But yeah, so I mean, we, I think we, we typically think of when we talk about the liturgy, you know, it's something that happens in, in, you know, in worship and the divine service. But it's, it's interesting to, to think about the liturgy as something then that comes into our everyday lives, comes into our homes, et cetera, which is, I think, not how people are, are used to thinking about it. That's one reason why I, th I thought your essay was quite interesting in that regard. So could you speak more to kind of what, you know, more general issue you think that this proposal kind of seeks to address? Like you talked about like kind of your own particular journey, like as y'all were figuring out, wanting to figure out like what you wanted your family's devotional mm -hmm. life to look like and how you wanted to raise your children in the faith. But what kind of broader kind of issue in the church and in the lives of Christians, do you think that this kind of living liturgically, like what does that address? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's hard to identify maybe a specific problem right. or like say that I'm offering a solution because I don't feel like that's necessarily what I'm trying to do in my essay. And nor am I really in a position of authority or, you know, mm. someone that should be speaking on these issues. But I, I would say that I think that essay tries to just acknowledge a reality of life, something that we all face. Yeah. And this way is just that we are all incredibly busy and that we have to schedule our time around something. I mean, mm -hmm. we have to have some sort of structure in our day-to-day -day existence to be able to understand how we're going to order, you know, the hours that we live by, the days, the months, the years, all of the, you know, time practice that we see just being part of our human existence. And so if we know that we're going to have to revolve our life around this sort of thing, you know, I just want to make the argument that that might as well be the church year. Mm -hmm. And the practices that the church already gives us, you know, because these things are such treasures to us and the church's people. And so I don't think that this is necessarily a new way of living. In fact, this sort of thing has been harnessed by people, you know, as long as the church has been around. But it's just trying to call upon some of those traditions and practices that have already been in place and realize that if we're going to be catechized by something, we might as well be catechized by the church because if it's not going to be by the church, it's going to be by parts of the world that, you know, try to f vie for our time and attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that makes sense. You're going to do something with your time. Yes, exactly. Might as well, might as well do this. Um, so, so tell me about, okay, let's kind of talk about some more kind of particular things. So what are, what are some of your favorite ways of doing this in your family so far? Yeah, I mean, my family just really enjoys partaking in, I, you know, I would say some of the like traditional or easily understood parts of liturgical living, things like going to the divine service together as a right. family, trying to take a break in the middle of our weeks to do some sort of midweek church service, saying the historic prayers during certain times of day, mm -hmm. learning about church history together, things like this. But in terms of some of the, you know, more interesting parts of liturgical living that we've only started to realize as we've, you know, done research as, as yeah. I've gotten more into this is things like, you know, major feast days, not only Christmas and Easter, the things that the church makes a big deal about, but holidays like Candlemas, which happens at the end of Epiphany. We celebrate this by eating crepes and lighting new candles to yeah. celebrate the end of the season of light or making waffles for the Annunciation, which is just this very peculiar tradition that came out of a 
a word switch where you, you know, take the day, the name for Mary's Day and okay. Waffles Day, and it ends up being the same. C- clearly not in English. Yes, clearly right. not in English. But this is just, you know, a fun nod to our Scandinavian heritage that my husband and I both have. Too. Yeah, yeah. And so that's a favorite for our family. We also really like St. John's Day in the summer, where you can celebrate with a big bonfire or Michaelmas in the fall. And so some of these traditions are great just because they really help us order the seasons. And it's, you know, something that you can do and look forward to as you're going throughout your days and can really allude to, you know, these traditions that have been have occurred in the church for a long time, but I wasn't really familiar with until I started doing more of this research. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting how there's always there's always so much more. Mm -hmm. There's always there's always more to the tradition. Like I remember I didn't I wasn't really exposed to like what an Easter vigil looked like until um, I think probably I came here. Mm -hmm. I just would never Never been in a place that had done it, never kind of ran into it. But it's it's this really rich, rich thing that's, I mean, now like is a, a central part about how I kind of think about it and, and approach kind of the end of Holy Week. But yeah, there's there's some, there's some cool stuff there. Yeah, that's a great example. What, um, is there like, is there a, a practice or an activity that, you know, you really like to do, but you haven't gotten a chance to do yet? Kind of like looking forward to maybe trying it out at some point? Sure. I mean, yeah, there's definitely traditions that I have been introduced to by other people. One thing that I've talked before on podcasts about is like the tradition of Maltaschen, which is okay. eaten in Germany during Holy Week. And I was served this by a German family when I spent Holy Week there. And it was so delicious and just a really great way to incorporate you know, some traditions of fasting into the Holy Week practice and things like that. But I would love to be able to do that for my family in the future. Yeah. What is what is that? It's just like a little dumpling okay. um, where it's has meat in it, but it's just minced up very small with the vegetables. And okay. so the idea was that if you cut the meat up so small that God could not see you when you're eating it, therefore <laughs> it was okay to celebrate as part of your fast during Holy Week. Nice. Yes. Oh, that's funny. So how how have, in, in kind of the time that you've been doing this, how have you seen this kind of liturgical living kind of affect your family thus far? Have you kind of noticed anything? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's impacted our life in multiple ways. I would yeah. say one of the things is just helping us to take time out of our busy schedule to come together to do these things, even if it's just serving a dessert you know, after dinner time and saying, you know, happy whatever saint it is day to you and taking a minute to remember their spiritual life and their gift to us and the church. Also, just learning more about church history and tradition. I think that that's been one of the greatest parts because now when my husband and I encounter certain texts together that we read as a family or individually in our devotions, you know, so many times we'll see there being references to these saints or holidays or just allusions made to the broader church here that we just were never aware of before. And even though those things were lost on us, then having that knowledge now has really been able to see how so many things that are already part of our culture gesture to these Sundays of the church's historical year or other commemorations that in a large part have been forgotten by the rest of the secular world. And so in this way, it's just really made us become more educated and aware of Christians. I think, you know, that we're able to now be part of these broader historical and cultural conversations that before, I think it can be really hard for an American within the modern context to just even be able to enter into that sort of way of understanding because we're so far apart of it from it than what we used to be. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe great grandparents or whatever, like, might 
I'd be more familiar with it, but it's yeah, or even just people from other cultures. I mean, yeah. I think that that's you're been, talking about like in time in Latvia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just from my time and my husband's time of living abroad, and even now at the seminary, we'll yeah. meet folks that are studying here and are international students, and so many of them have similar practices or customs in their holidays. You know, which allows us ironically to come together around, even though mm-hmm. so many other parts of so you know faith yeah. practice would be different. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. So. When when I, I I find I find kind of what you're talking about interesting because I think that what when I think about you know what people are really concerned about as far as like raising their children in the faith and whether whether just their own children are kind of like in yeah. our churches broadly like I think the things that are coming up for a lot of people are like catechesis like people don't actually like know the faith or like know the apostles creed the commandments etc or like biblical literacy like they don't know the scriptures mm-hmm. or like being influenced by the culture around us, whether that's on kind of ethical issues, life issues, like kind of how we understand the purpose of our lives in general. And I could I could see someone kind of seeing this and saying, I don't see how like commemorating Saint so and so like like solves that. So how does how does kind of this liturgical living fit into kind of some of these other needs about like catechesis, biblical literacy, etc.? Do you see it kind of how, how does it, how does it fit in and um, fit in with some of these kind of more broader concerns that people have about raising their kids and, you know, themselves in the faith. Yeah. No, I think that's a very legitimate critique and something to consider. I mean, part of my response would just be that saint days are a very small part of liturgical living. Right. Once again, you know, you need to start with the big aspects like divine service and understanding. That's the center of it. Yes, how the church's calendar. And by that, I just mean the central scriptural references and Mm -hmm. celebrations of the day, how those really center our faith. And I think if we take this broader overview, you know, if we don't just focus in on St. Cecilia and how her day is celebrated by listening right. to music, if we're able to step back, we see that liturgical living, again, is just centering your whole life around Jesus and his church. And so by meditating— Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah by meditating on these lessons, you know, the practices that have already been a part of the church mm-hmm. really since its existence, we're able to learn— better the ideas about scripture and catechism and these things that you mentioned that really are at the heart of what we ought to be teaching our children Mm -hmm. and what we should be trying to strengthen our own faith in, since obviously we can all, you know, grow in those aspects as well. And I think there's so many wonderful things to take from liturgical living that help you implement these sorts of practices like restoring a healthy prayer life, saying prayers of the church together as a family, learning that you don't have to you know, make up these words as you go, but you you can open, you know, the Lutheran service book, for example, and have these things available to you in pretty much any circumstance that you would come across. And I think by cultivating those sorts of habits and habits that I really would argue are at the center or the heart of our catechesis problem and, you know, the things that we really are struggling with, you know, as a church body or just as the church as a whole, then I think that we can start to address some of these larger issues by understanding, you know, the ways that liturgical living can help us really live into these ways. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it sounds like you're saying, you know, you know, there's, there, there's space for kind of some of these other things, mm-hmm. but that if our, if our lives aren't fundamentally centered around Jesus and the, the gifts that he's bringing us, then, you know, just adding on, you know, catechism class as just another activity isn't going to get the job done. Like our lives have to be centered around these things. Um, if this other stuff is going to do its jobs, that kind of yeah, what you're no, saying, you that's think? exactly what I'm saying. And I again, that just all comes back to what my husband and I saw yeah. happening when we were 
trying to think about this with our own family was, of course, these families that practice liturgical living are still taking their children to Sunday school. They're still having them go through confirmation and do these practices. None of that is different from what you might think of a traditional Lutheran family or Christian family. The just difference is that there's more of a day-to-day consistency and meditation on these Mm -hmm, things mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. brings the church into the home life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's uh, I think that's the thing that's helpful for for a lot of folks. So so you talk about kind of doing this in you know your your family. Do you think that this would look different for folks say without children mm. or for single individuals who are say living by themselves? What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, once again, I think that's something to consider. Both my husband and I mm-hmm. have both been in the single part of adulthood and the stage without children very recently since we just had our first baby not too long ago. So I believe that it's not totally crazy to do these types of things on your own. I mean, a lot of these traditions are just a way to celebrate and have fun. And so you can do that with other friends, family members, even other families that are already practicing these things, people from your church. It's just an opportunity to try to have faith-based events that provide fellowship and fun and a way to come together. And so not only can you do these things on your own, but you can be the person that tries to bring other people into the fold and part of that way. And I think that that's one of the best things that the church, you know, as a body can try to do is to try to implement some of these traditions by maybe creating celebrations of them within the church or inviting, you know, all sorts of people from the congregation to be able to celebrate them and not just assume that it's only the, you know, homeschool families doing it when they have all the time on their hands to be able to engage. No, it's it's really for everyone in that way. Yeah, yeah. So it can kind of transcend the, you know, the traditional like household kind of divisions. um, Oh, for sure. Which is, you know, Sounds like a good opportunity for Christian fellowship. Yeah. And again, I mean, I really wasn't familiar with these ways or introduced them until I was a single person. I hadn't learned about these when I was a part of my nuclear family growing up. Mm -hmm. It was only in that in-between time when I was single in my early 20s that I learned more about these things before then I once again entered into the family life with my husband. But it was interesting that a lot of these practices were introduced kind of in the intermediate stage as well. Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. So someone someone hears about all this, they they read they read your essay and they think this this sounds really cool. Like I I can kind of see what this looks like and I, I, I want this. But it also feels kind of daunting and strange. Like, you know, maybe I like I, I know like for me, like we didn't have we didn't do anything like mm-hmm. this. Like even like even like talking about let's say like the, the, the sermon on, on Sunday, like that we just didn't do that. So how do you, how, how, what would you say to such a person? Like, how do they get started? It can feel like there's all this stuff that you don't know about. How do you, how do you get going? Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I hear often along with that is just the question, like, am I living liturgically? Like, what's the barrier or the point? How do I know when I've yeah, been yeah. where I've, I've stepped into that sphere. And I think, you know, the thing that I would tell so many of us is that if you are, again, going to church, if you're saying your prayers, if you care about reading your Bible, going to divine service, like you're already living liturgically. Those are really the aspects that make up the meat of the practice. And that's great because if you're engaging in those parts of the faith, then I think that you'll already be more aware of some of the other aspects that can seem strange or daunting at first, but that have been done in the church for such a long time. I mean, this happens with so many aspects of church life where the first time you go to divine service, it just seems so weird and you don't know what's going on. And you have to learn through other people teaching you oftentimes or just learning more about the practices, Mm -hmm. how those things make sense. And I think the same thing happens with liturgical living is even if it seems just totally out there, you think to yourself, there's no way that this could be Lutheran 
or I haven't heard of this in my Lutheran family before, so this isn't how you're supposed Those to be weird. Lutheran, yeah, yeah. et cetera. Like, that's not necessarily the case. If you're just open to it, I think some of that understanding will come. And then in terms of how you're able to actually practice it in terms of logistics, I mean, just pick one thing that seems interesting to you at first, something that relates to you, whether, again, it's you really enjoying music, so you want to try to bring more aspects of music into your mm -hmm. liturgical living practices. Maybe it's celebrating your name day because you're St. Joseph, and so you want to learn more about who the Josephs of the Bible were right. and why they're important, and so you really feel called to celebrate that person when their day comes up on the liturgical calendar. It could just be following a tradition that's interesting. If you really enjoy baking or cooking or grilling or spending time outside, all of these things, you'll find, find our practice yeah, within the church. And so in that way, I think you can kind of just start to step into the cycle, add mm -hmm. more things in as you go along. If something doesn't work for you, there's no reason to keep it. It's really just experimental in that way. Yeah, no, I I, th I think that's really helpful. Just kind of reminding people that there's not like, there's not this this like coherent like set of practices. You have to do all of mm -hmm. these. Even just you know, going to the divine service and praying and reading scripture is like that's the core of it. If you're doing that, you're already you're already on the way. Uh, For that's, sure. that's really helpful. Are there any particular resources that you might point people to? Yes, I mean I have to take a minute to plug my side right. project, mm -hmm. which of course is where some of this essay developed from. But I run a blog along with one of my best friends, Tessa, who mm -hmm. is a seminarian's wife uh, right. who's out in Fort Wayne. And of course, they're just taking their first call this summer uh, back to Minnesota, which is where my husband and I are going for my husband's first call, too. But we run the blog allthehousehold.com. And this blog or project, I would say, just tries to encompass a lot of the traditions and ways that you can practice these certain days at home and give suggestions, advice, readings, etc. Which is great because if you're trying to do the research on your own, like I have, it just is very tough to collect all the resources into one place. And so our goal is to mm -hmm. just try to do some of that work for you and to provide yeah. inspiration for how you might try to implement some of these things on your own. Besides the All the Household project, I would say another great resource is Will Whedon's Celebrating the Saints book. This is a fantastic resource that takes you through the saints that are on the Lutheran calendar that you'll see in the mm -hmm. beginning of the LSB. And not only does he give short biographies and meditations on the saints and their importance to the days of the year, but also will just lead you into being able to open that book and, you know, just learn more about some of the people that I've mentioned here today. Yeah. A few other books that I think are really great resources that do more of a good job of covering like the historic church's lectionary or calendar that you might see implemented in your church would be a four-volume set by Lindemann called The Sermon and the Propers. And he goes through all of the Sundays and major dates of the church year and, again, talks about their significance and importance from a theological point of view. Okay. And then lastly is the website or a podcast issues, et cetera, which just gives really great podcasts and synopses of feast days, historic Sundays of the church's year and provides other educational episodes sure. that strengthen you and your liturgical living knowledge. I mean, that's a great resource. And all four of those are things that me and my family use quite frequently. And I, you know, I'm confident would be accessible to most anyone listening to me here today. Yeah, that's great. Well, Kristen, thank you for your time and thank you for kind of sharing some of the stuff that you've kind of been cultivating in your family. It's, it's, that's real exciting. Thanks, Kendall. It's been a joy. All right. So this has been Back to the Sources. 
a podcast of Hasi Memorial Library. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed Back to the Sources, be sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Facebook so that you don't miss a single episode. This podcast is brought to you by the Hasi Library on the campus of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. The Hasi Library, inspiring theological discovery.